Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Before that, though, I was reading um, over the weekend in, in one of the papers comments from a district court judge in Cork uh, who said that people acting the maggot with hospital staff should go to prison. And when you look at the figures, at least 10 assaults take place in hospitals every single day on nurses and midwives. Uh, Dr Mick Malloy is um, is with me here on the programme today. Mick's a member of the IMO Consultant Committee. Mick, does more need to be done to deal with people who are, you know, either abusive or threatening behaviour towards healthcare workers? Yes, Andrea. And if I could just take that first figure you mentioned there, the 10 assaults, that's the 10 reported assaults. There are far many more than that that just do not get reported because the staff are effectively too busy and too uh, obsessed with previous reporting of, of assaults that nothing has really happened, that they've said there's no point in doing it anymore, so they lost confidence in the system. So the, so the, so the 10 per day in Irish hospitals is totally under-reporting? Absolutely. So what would you put the figure at, Mick, roughly? I, I couldn't put a figure at, but, but this is something we've seen rise quite a bit. Now, there are various different gradings of assaults, whether they're physical or verbal or bodily fluid assaults. And that those would happen quite frequently in the hospitals. The verbal assaults is a daily occurrence now for people, but the, the physical are less frequent, but still happen quite frequently in hospitals. What's the impact of that then on on morale within uh, within the work you know within the workplace and for staff like and just the ability to have the confidence to go in to do your job, Mick? So there is a there is obviously an effect on morale long term. There's an effect on recruitment and retention of staff, and we can see that in areas which are more challenging. That you'll find there are significantly higher vacancies in those areas than there are in other hospitals or other physical areas of the country which do not have the same degree of assaults or degree of threats to to staff as would happen in in certain clinical locations. Is it more common in the likes of A&Es? Well, you're dealing with volumes of people there and you're also dealing with people at their most vulnerable times. So um, emotions can be quite high. But yes, it would happen more or be reported more in emergency departments than it would be on wards because you're not really having the same throughput mm. in in, um, in the wards that you would have to emergency departments. Most emergency departments would have between 120 and 240 patients a day. But each of those patients could have two or three relatives with them. So you're, you're talking about an area that could have up to a thousand people coming in and out through it during the day. And when waiting times are extended, people get upset. I understand that. And mm. we'd love to be able to do more, but it's a, it's a space issue. Um, but th- there's no excuse to take that out on the, re- the reception staff, who are particularly vulnerable in most emergency departments because they're outside the locked door. Most of the emergency departments in the country now have a, a locked clinical door or a, a door with a... Oh, locked is the wrong word, but a, a door which is restricted access. So nobody can just walk in and walk out. Um, but what we find is when, you, when a doctor or a nurse goes to call a patient from the waiting room, other people will rush the door to get in because they've they're, uh, been told they have to wait. Their, their relatives are being treated, but they want to get in immediately to see their, their, their relative. And it can be very challenging trying to maintain order at that point in time. We're still in a scenario where COVID is still pre- pre- prevalent. Mm-hmm. And what we're trying to do is reduce 
contacts, reduce the amount of people in it. In what is a relatively small geographic area in the emergency department yeah. to avoid people picking up conditions they don't need to. Stay with us, Mick, if you don't mind. I ask people to get in touch. I mean, if they've been the victim of this or they've had to deal with any kind of threatening behaviour in whatever, you know, area of um, of the health service that they work in to, to give us a shout. It's 1800 453 106. Orla's on the line. Orla, I believe you're a nurse. Is this something that you've witnessed? Hi, Andrea. Thanks very much. Um, yeah, absolutely. And as Mick said, um, the number of figure reported is 10 per day. Absolutely. It is 100% so much more than that. Um, every day you're going to meet someone, um, a parent or a patient that's going to be really aggressive, verbally abusive. We've seen um, racial comments made to the men and women working who aren't originally from Ireland, which is really, really frustrating. And you understand that people are frustrated, they're worried, they're concerned, and the waiting times in EDs can be so long because of the volume. And if you're not critically unwell, you're not, um, it can be long. And we're sorry about that, we are, but it's just incredibly frustrating when you're trying to do your job and then you're being abused verbally. Mm. And it's a long shift. They're 13 hour shifts. You're tired. Like I said, you can see a huge number of patients during the day. They can be critically unwell. And we are caring people, but we aren't um, able to cope with every day being verbally abused. Can you tell me, Orla, about the, you know, the sort of experience that, that you've had yourself? Like, I worked Christmas Eve and Christmas Day this past Christmas. And, um, you know, it was really, really busy. The winter was probably one of the busiest winters we've had. It incorporated flu, RSV, plus COVID-19, and then the strep A on top of that. So it was very busy in the winter, really busy in the emergency department. And it was Christmas, and we were away from our families. We were doing our long shift, and people were still really, really abusive um, about the waiting times. And we were doing our very best. And yes, comments were made, you know, they pick out your at your appearance, they pick out at the way you speak, the way you do your work. And um, and then, like I said, there's been racial comments made to my colleagues as well, which is really upsetting. Um, so, but so that sorry, was just my Christmas. So sorry, Orly, you actually will have patients or family members of patients that you're dealing with who will comment on your your appearance and, and how you speak and do your work when you're in the ward yeah like yeah absolutely you know like if I, I wear glasses and if I have my glasses on or I take them off they'd make comments like oh maybe you should wear your glasses a bit more and see how busy we are or that kind of a thing there would be comments like that yeah. and go on Mick those, those comments are not unusual that they would happen quite frequently and, and one one which particularly gets me obsessed is when you ask people to stop and they'll they'll turn around and say, you should be used to this in your job. Nobody should be used to this in your job. You shouldn't have to face personal criticism or personal abuse because of the the, the structural area where you work. If I went into any um, retail outlet and started screaming at the staff, the guardie would be called immediately. But because it happens so frequently in the hospital environments, we don't call the guardie all the time because they'd spend all the time Mm. in the emergency department. When I worked in the States, the police were present in the emergency department all the time. I was going to ask you... I I was just going to ask you, do you have security staff? I don't want to say bouncers, but in emergency departments, yeah. Yeah, we do. do, And they are very good. 
I was going to say they're, they're excellent in doing what they do, yeah. but they can get overrun very quickly. Yeah. And they are not uh, not like you would see in the United States. They're not an armed security force. They're individuals who are just trying to lower the aggression. Are you there, Mick? Did I, did I lose you? Is Mick there? No, we'll try and re- reconnect with Mick. And Orla, sorry, when, when this kind of stuff happens, like on Christmas Day, somebody commenting on, on your appearance, like it's unbelievable. Wh- what do you say to them? Or do you, what, what can you do? You just have to try and de-escalate the situation the best you can. You're there to do your job and you understand that they are worried, they are concerned, but you have to just explain that this is an emergency department. We are doing the very best. We are caring for critically unwell children and adults. And we will get seen to you, but there can be a really long wait and we do apologise. And we ask them to bring their relative or their child in from the, emer- from the waiting room into the department. We can check them, reassess them, offer them pain medication if they need it. And then we will, you know, we'll go from there. But, but it has you know, to be not very, a- it has to be, I can imagine Orla, because I, I know, you know, like somebody saying something to you about your appearance or you know, doing your job, like it, it has to be hurtful, like. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it can be quite frustrating going into an environment that every day you're going to be met with some type of, you know, comments or abuse yeah, or um, intimidation. Yeah, it's totally unacceptable. You know, like a, a majority of our staff, uh, nursing and midwives, are women. And, you know, you could have, you know, men who are much taller than you, much bigger than you, you know, leaning over you, standing, coming into your personal space, and being, you know, speaking with quite an aggressive tone, and it is very intimidating. Mm, and then you have to, con- and then you have to continue on, and then you may care for them or their child later on in the evening or the day. Let, let me bring in Mark as well. Mark, you, you've been listening to to Orla and Mick there. What's your experience, Mark? Um, well, I'm a I'm a third year student, like psychiatric mental health nurse. Um, I've taken a year, a year of absence, um, but I ju- there's just something that I would just like to clarify what the judge said. He said the word hospital staff, and when you when we when we look at his in report, there's an awful lot of the word healthcare staff. But we're actually discussing. I understand nursing staff. Now, nursing you can divide it into two specific groups, which is the hospital environment. And the community environment. The hospital will wear the uniforms and in the community it should be the civvies. Mm. Let's look let's look at the um the assault aspect. Um, right across the spectrum, be it in a, a public arena um or in a, in an acute setting. The non fatal offence against the person act nineteen ninety seven and section two is where a person feels threatened or afraid of attending violence but no physical contact occurs. Section 3, where a physical assault causes harm to the person. Have you experienced any of that, Mark, yourself? I have. Yeah. But you dare not, you dare not um, report certain incidents. Well, I'll put you this way, as a healthcare assistant for an agency, there are times where you will be assaulted, which will be... uh, a non-contact where you could get a cup of tea thrown at you or a yogurt. And, you know, you just have to just dust yourself off. And what can you do? Is it an assault? Yes. What can you do to that patient? Was the patient elated? Did you perform your, your training? Did you step back? Did you, you know, did 
Did you see what was going to happen? Were you abused verbally? Yes. But it's just something we take on the chin. It's like we just signed up a veto in first year and said, well, that's it. Whereas a guard, a guard you know, has restraints of a handcuff. And that, and no one wants to go down that road. But pepper spray deployment, you know, but we have nothing. We're told to step back. Use your map of training. Step back. Walk away. Would more security, is is that the answer though? Or? No. Not in my opinion. Okay. No, you see, there's, there's well, I, I, I won't speak now in relation to Orla. I don't know in, in, in the general or the midwifery section. Um, I'd have a fair idea of the general um, healthcare system and we would have to do our clinical placement in the general session. Um, I don't think that, you know, there has to be a certain amount of, you know, you are allowed to defend yourself in a certain structure. It's, it's only fair that we are. Um, in first year, second year and third year, we get what we call MAPA training. And then um, in fourth year, when you're qualified, you get TMV training, where it is actually hands-on approach, where you can restrain. Okay. Do, 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 do you think, um, Mick, you're still with us as well? Like, just in that we're talking about this because of the, the context of the quotes over the weekend, and I mentioned that uh, the judge, the district court judge's comments that, you know, people act in the maggot, and it is with hospital staff, should go to prison. But, like, ultimately, is that what you're talking about? Automatic sentences? Mandelson. I don't think there's any automatic sentence for anything, unfortunately, um, Andrea. I, I'm currently waiting for two court cases to come up for actual physical assault against myself in the emergency department. So I can speak to this in and, and detail, and I think I spoke to your researcher earlier. I mean, the, the, the verbal abuse would be daily. The, the bodily fluids is probably once a week or once every two weeks, but the, the physical stuff can be once a month or more where there's actual true physical contact and significant physical contact. And I'm aware of a number of colleagues who've had to take time off or had to take time out to have surgical procedures done as a result of this, the assaults they've experienced in work. But I don't think there's any mandatory sentence, sentencing guideline from the judiciary. No, in, but would you like that, though? I mean, do, like, would, would, if there was to be, uh, whether it be mandatory sentencing or, or, or you know, the, the fact that I suppose there would be just an automatic um prison sentence or, or penalty or form for people involved in in assaults against healthcare workers. And I, and I and I use, when I say healthcare workers, I'm talking about paramedics as well, you know, and, and others in, in, in all aspects of it. Like, is that really what's needed? Like, is, would, would that work as a deterrent? I think society has to take it more seriously. I think judiciary also have to take it more seriously. What the ultimate outcome of that is, I can't say it to be honest, and, and I, I'm, I'm not sure mandatory sentencing is, is the way to go in this, because there will always be exceptions and there will always be um, poor cases, and, and hard cases make bad laws in, in this scenario, but I think we need to tone down our outbursts when we go to emergency departments and in healthcare settings right now. There seems to be a level of anger growing in the community, and I'm entitled to this, and I should be seen now, and I should be. We are not trying to make people wait. We are limited by the amount of space mm. we have in the various hospitals. and We're not deliberately sitting there looking at monitors going, no, let's make that one way, let's make that person wait. That's not what's happening. We're trying to get people in and out. We, we get complained to and about if we come and examine people in corridors. But at times, corridors are the only spaces we have left when every room is full. And, and that's a 
that's a function of the, the capacity of our hospital system, which was never built to be dealing with 5 million population and, and growing as it is. Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan. Brought to you by Avant Money. Weekdays at midday on News Talk. We're talking about attacks on hospital staff. Carmel is with us on the line. Carmel, you're a former nurse. You say, yeah. though, yeah, what, what's your experience of this? Well, uh, good afternoon, Andrea. Um, I'm, it's the shocking reality there reported by Orla and Mark. I mean, you know, it's, it's dreadful and it's always unacceptable. Um, I'm kind of trying to figure out, it's a long time ago since I was nursing, but I'm trying to figure out what has changed in our culture. Um, that allows people react to other humans like this. You know, mm-hmm. it seems, I think the technological development, um, all things being remote and barriers and whatever, does tend to bring the worst out in people because they don't really see the nurses and the carers and the doctors as fellow human beings, you know. But from my own experience then, being on the patient side, the atmosphere it's not a very healing environment in most A&E departments or hospitals. You know, you've got the fluorescent lights. People are waiting for hours and hours on trolleys, chairs. And you're actually somewhere you don't want to be. You've arrived there um, maybe in shock, in pain, mm. and definitely in fear. Um, and the long delays where maybe there's no eye contact from staff because they're overwhelmed with the lack of capacity, um, it becomes a vicious cycle. Um, as, but I have to repeat that aggression and um, abuse is always unacceptable. But then when the staff are working in that atmosphere for a long time, they probably they have to avoid eye contact and whatever to get their work, to try and focus, not make mistakes. Um, but I do think that creating additional capacity in the hospital system is urgent. We can't afford not to build it in. And the lack of... The ability to recruit staff, you know, like you can't, I can't imagine going to work in the conditions that the staff are working in. Um, they're brave and they're doing their best, but the human, we're all human, and mm. when we're tired and overstretched, um, it doesn't always, we don't always function as our best no. when it comes to the human it's, interaction. It's, it sounds though, like from from chatting to to Mick and Orla and Mark there earlier. It sounds like it's got worse. I mean, when I mentioned these figures of at least 10 assaults taking place in hospitals every mm-hmm. single day oh, on absolutely. nurses and, and yeah. Mick Malloy telling us that like, that's total underreporting, those figures. That they're yeah, far higher when, than that. I think when you think of the anonymity of Twitter, for example, or whatever, and the abuse you see hurled at people when, in that, I think sometimes because all the automation now you know, we're dealing with computers, the hole in the wall. Even when you're in difficulty and you have to ring your doc and call, you're on hold. People arrive into the space stressed out of their heads. And staff can't, they've no, they can't miraculously solve that. Mm. But People get frustrated. And yes, they are. Yeah, it's an, it's a and the, the sense of maybe entitlement that we're the only patient in the space or something can feature for some people. Ralph is with us as well, Carmel. Ralph, you're also a nurse. Is this something that you've experienced? Um, hi, Andrea. How yeah, it, 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 it has been, yeah. And, um, you know, and I I would kind of say, like, I'm sure a lot of people have, 
have um, have experienced this, but then of course the things can have uh, kind of stuff happen uh, in hospitals every day. It is an ongoing issue, and um, but there are definitely like a lot of root causes, you know, and that um, you know tempers can flare. Um, like put yourself in a patient's shoes, like say you've been waiting in the emergency department for you know however many hours, like twelve, fifteen hours. You 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 are sick. You you know in your view you 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 are not doing well, and you are having to wait for these long time these extended long periods of time. And then when you do get into the ED, you are admitted, but then you could be waiting potentially even longer for for a room in, say, another ward. So you are probably already um, on edge, and then, say, things don't happen the way you want it to, or it's not happening fast enough, tempers can flare, and then you then, you know, sometimes that might boil over. Mm. How frequently would you have dealt with this, Ralph? um, Well, I... On a personal level, not a huge amount. We are kind of trained in, in kind of de-escalating issues. And when we were training as students, we were kind of trained as well to deal with um, kind of the, uh, aggressive patients and try to, the, the key is to try to de-escalate situations. Um, sometimes that's just not not at all possible and, and it, it, you know, a patient could lash out or, you know, verbally abuse um, and they're a nurse or something like that, you know, but what's what's that effect? And it it does happen, and there are systems in place to report that, and mm. you know, and um, and there are policies to um, okay. Um, I, I see a text in from a listener who says, I just find this so upsetting how quickly the country has forgotten COVID. These are the people that went to work every day to save lives in hospitals, in the ambulance, the nursing homes. They didn't cocoon at home like most of us. Society is breaking down if it's come to this level of disrespect. It's frightening because it's happening right across the board in terms of nurses, carers, ambulance, paramedics, fire brigade and the Gardaí as well. Tom is on the line too. Tom, what's your experience? Hi, Andrea. How are you? Good. Um, I've had a couple of close shaves now. I, I'm a healthcare assistant. I work in the home care sector. So we're actually quite vulnerable. We're in, we're in people's houses uh, on our own. Now, I'm lucky. The clients that I look after absolutely lovely. I'm actually privileged to be looking after them. Um, I've had a close call once where someone that had dementia nearly went for me. You know, now we have map betraying and, and stuff like that, but like if I was to use that, that person has got diminished responsibility. Where do I stand? You know, I was also told, I was thinking about applying to the HSE uh, to go as a HCA in, we'll say, A&E department here in Limerick, and I was warned, one guy that I know that had worked there, he just said, look, it's not worth it, he said, it will absolutely destroy you. You know, so. I, I don't know what's gone wrong with society lately or whatever, but people just seem to be more aggressive, hell of a lot more aggressive, mm. you know, and we're kind of flying blind on it, like, you know, with regards to, look, I, I can de-escalate situations. I have experience. I worked in security and I worked as a, on, a, on a door as a door supervisor years ago, so I have some experience. But in a situation in the healthcare thing, you're, you're literally on your own. And particularly, I, I take, Tom, in the, the kind of line of work that you're in. I mean, you won't have the backup of somebody, you know, other colleagues if you're in somebody's house. No, no I don't know. I'm, I'm lucky enough, like I said, that the people that I'm looking after, it's an actual privilege to look after. They're lovely people. I'm lucky now. I had one incident. 
where I actually pulled from it and I actually refused to go back in, like, you know. But, like, I presume, like, how many care companies are there in the country that other people have had incidents and probably worse, like, you know, mm. that it's not highlighted. It just seems like last year, or for the last two or three years, we were, I don't know, frontline heroes. I never subscribed to that that tack, but we were, we were out there with others. And then when we need backup, actually put something in place to improve our safety, both in the hospitals, all over the health mm-hmm. sector. Nothing seems to happen. Like, like I, I can give you an incident. I saw one nurse about two or three years ago. I was in, I was in the regional, in Limerick ULH or whatever they call it now. And I saw one nurse get knocked out by some fella off his head. And not, I mean, she was knocked spark out. So if anyone tells me that like you have the Health and Safety Act that the employer is supposed to provide a safe working environment. That's not providing a safe working environment. I'm lucky in the sector I'm in, the risk is kind of low. But if you're in the hospital or anything like that, it's 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 an ever-present threat. Like for, for any staff that's mm. in the in in A and E, because the HSE don't want to tackle it. That's what I've seen. The, 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 like when a a guy that works there is telling me stay the hell away from it. That's not good. Do you think, though, with the likes of the, you know, if if there was mandatory sentencing or automatic sentencing for people involved in attacks or assaults on, on you know, whether we call it health line or front care, front line workers, yeah. health care workers, would that even help, though? Well, do you know something? It's a start. Because at the moment, no one wants to tackle this. Okay. Like, these are, look at the, like, the guards, I think, are something like 10 or 11 assaults a week, like. So you think oh, it's a start? Yeah. Okay, okay. It's a start. Yeah. I have a text in here from a listener who says, I actually think mandatory sentencing is quite dangerous. One of the big problems is the lack of support resources in the community. People are forced to stay in hospital because they still need to recover, but they don't need to be in a hospital setting. We have to increase the support infrastructure to hospitals. We also need to restructure emergency departments into critical and non-critical. I recently spent two weeks in James's, and while they were brilliant, I was being told I can't go home because of uh, admin not medical reasons. Uh, William is with us on the line too. William, why did you get in touch about this? Yeah, yeah. So, Andrea, hi. Um, I, I just, I, I, I just said to your researcher, I don't really want to deviate from the topic of the frontline healthcare workers. You know, um, but I, 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 I'm a retail worker. Yeah, and I see threats, violence, aggression, um, assault on a daily basis. Uh, in my profession, um, assaults, all that kind of behaviour is is well up on last year. Um, and we see it with the guards last couple of weeks ago in, mm. in certain areas around the country. Um, and, and my feeling is that it, this, it's not, you know, I don't want to take away from the frontline workers. I don't want to take away from that topic. But this, I feel, is a societal, it's, it's nearly become, becoming cultural. I just find people um, more aggressive in your general day-to-day dealings, you know. And okay. I'm not sure. Um, you know, Leo Bradford came out today after the issues in Bally Farmers and the assaults on the guard and that, you know, we need to understand why people in general are so aggressive. And, you know, I, I don't want to get down that road and the whole political role, but there's a lot of stuff happening in this country that I feel people are aggrieved about, whether it is waiting list and the health system, mm. whether it's, you know, whether it's, okay. it's, whether it's the, the, you know, uh, the whole housing situation, tax, you know, 
there's just, you know, judicial systems. Just that, I think people are just getting a real awakening of how much, you know. But your 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 point and, is and that it's 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 not just even in the healthcare. Like it's it's across the board. Retail in the retail sector now, you're dealing with threatening behaviour and abusive behaviour and all of that. Absolutely, and and your colleague alluded to earlier, or one of your callers, and said. You know, if this was happening in a, in a in a retail environment, just you call the guards, and that's it. With respect, you call the guards now for, and you're probably lucky if a guard arrives within ninety minutes to two hours. You know, and a lot of damage can be caused in them. You know, so everywhere is stretched, mm. and again, that just adds brings adds to the whole, bringing fuel to the fire. You know, and it's like you have this big melting pot of aggression, you know, and that's it's, what it's, it's, it, it's interesting, all right, William, the point you make about, like, I mean, what has changed that, or has anything changed? Is it just that we're talking about it more? Does it go back to the point that Mick Malloy made earlier? You know, maybe are people just more willing to talk about and report these type of incidents? But, like, it's, it's interesting that it's across. I mean, the amount of messages we've been from people here talking about nearly every aspect, uh, every sector or part of the, the health service, um, people dealing with this on a daily basis. I'm sure there's William talking about uh, it been fairly rife within the retail sector as well. Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan. Brought to you by Avant Money. Weekdays at midday on News Talk.